We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's move on to the mailbag, Ryan. We had a couple super chats that we want to get to here uh, as yep. we find some more questions. And I'm going to start at the top. And if you want to start the ones at the bottom, Ryan, to kind of help us get. Yep. So I'm going to go back top and see if I can find some more. But we did have a super chat from Randy Hernandez. Randy, thank you very, very, very much for that, buddy. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work, guys. Brian, you have a great product. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We appreciate that very much. I got a got a great team, and we're hoping to continue building that soon. So I do appreciate that, Randy. And then Brandon Plesner asks, do you think Notre Dame renews its contract with Under Armour or go with another brand? Is there any intel regarding this? Uh, when the UA con- When is the UA contract officially up? So I don't really I've, – I've heard things, Brandon, but as far as where Notre Dame stands with another brand, most of the intel I've heard is just who's in the mix, nothing about where they're leaning. So I don't want to – I don't want to presume to say – I've heard they're leaning this way or that way or with Under Armour, away from Under Armour. I've only heard about who's kind of involved. And that's that's the only thing I'm really comfortable saying is that that I do know that there's a lot of other entities involved with this. So there's going to be plenty of competition. And but I don't know, I don't know where Notre Dame is in regard to their happiness with Under Armour. I don't know where Under Armour is from a business standpoint. I know they've had some struggles in recent years. You know, Ryan, I don't know where they are in regard to can they afford to even be in the conversation with what Notre Dame's asking price is going to be. Not even asking price, but, you know, what they're being offered by other people. There's a lot to this that I just don't know. So I don't want to pretend to to start saying this is the direction it's going to go because there's just so much that that I don't know. I just know what I will comf- com- comfortably and confidently report is that there are a lot of people involved in the conversation, which is going to always drive the price up. When there's yes. multiple people involved, it drives the price up. So I expect it to be a much bigger deal than it was last time. Will it be with Under Armour or somebody else? That I don't know. Uh, so I, I can't answer that. I I don't I actually kind of like Under Armour's gear. Like I like Under Armour clothes. I for me, not for like Notre Dame, like for me. Uh I, I I've been told their shoes aren't good. I've never worn Under Armour shoes, so I can't say. I, uh, I have no clue. I like their gloves. I mean, football wise, I mean I, 
I think that there's some things I'd like to see them change that that I don't love their the I don't love the jerseys they've created for Notre Dame. To be honest with you, a couple of them the, of the road jerseys were pretty cool. I really like the 2015 Shamrock Series uniforms. When you see them, like a fan wearing them, they look pretty sweet. When you saw the mannequin, it looked pretty sweet. It just looked really bad on TV because the numbers were <laughs> same colors. I mean, just you couldn't see who was who in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But uh, you know. I, I don't know why a lot of people don't like Under Armour. I actually kind of like the the way that they look. I just wish that they would, A, I think a lot of people dislike Under Armour. This is my opinion because they don't like the color of the pants. I get that completely. I hate the color of the pants. I was told by a buddy the other day that the expectations that the pants will, because we keep asking about this, right? So so I was told that they're probably going to have the mustard pants again this year, but you can expect that to change down the road. So we'll, we'll see if that's true or not. So that's the best news of today. Yeah, that's I know. Right. News. Yeah. So that's just what I was told from somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So just take it for what it's worth. Uh, but uh, you know, that uh, I, I, like I said, I like Under Armour's clothes. I think they're comfortable. I think they fit well. I just, and everybody knows I'm, I'm a very anti Nike person, not because I don't like the quality of their clothes. I just, I don't like their business practices and, that's fair. Their hypocrisy towards things when they're doing what they're doing and they're going to make statements about things in our country and all that other stuff. So Nike can just, you know. But their their clothes are yep. fantastic. Shine it up real nice, yeah. turn it sideways and stick it up there. Okay. That's my thoughts on <laughs> Nike. Uh, so so John A1 says, uh, I think he meant, uh, can Jaden Thomas play the pro slot uh, role that Tommy Reese has been looking for or will we see something else, Ryan? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He can. Yeah, I think that him and Lorenzo Styles are the easy ones for me for that. Because Jane Thompson is going to be a little bit of a bigger slot, right? Like he's not going to be the slot that you would in, usually you would envision, right? Like he's not a Cole Beasley, Wes Welker, like that type of slot, even like an Antonio Brown type of slot. Like they're, he's a very different football player in that regard. But he has some of that quick twitch to him, and he has size, and he can finish through contact. So 
I think Jaden Thomas could be an interesting player in the slot. I also think Lorenzo Styles, although a little different than Jaden Thomas, can be that pro slot type because he brings a pretty good combination, in my opinion, talking about both players, to length, size, and then also I think they have quick twitch enough to navigate space. So I actually do like Jaden Thomas in the slot. I think it's an interesting fit. I do in this offense, yes. And here's the other thing too, Ryan, that, that we learned a little bit about the spring. The little bit we've seen of Jaden Thomas, he showed himself to be a guy that can make people miss in space. And I think that the combination of his size plus that, and I even if you go back and read uh, some of the evaluations I did of him in high school, I talked about the fact that he's actually pretty good with the ball in his hands. You know, which you wouldn't necessarily expect for a guy his size. And so, I think that's not a must for a pro style slot, but if you have it. It it I like it and and I think it's, it's like it's, a yeah you know you know how Juju Smith Schuster's been used by like the Steelers is kind of like that pro slot right like he's more physical than like the quick twitch type of guy I imagine Jane Thomas would be in a similar vein to that right yeah like you're gonna win more of the physicality and the size than your quick twitch ability but you have enough quick twitch where you can navigate enough space mm-hmm. that's what I kind of see with Jane yep you know. One of the things I talked, this is a quote that I had from him in my film analysis of him when he signed. I said, Thomas has above average speed and he's a quality all-around athlete. He's smooth, fluid, and shows the ability to do damage after the catch. I mean, so that's that's something that we saw from him in high school. And, you know, I, my follow-up was you wouldn't expect a player that lacks top-level speed to be as good with the ball in his hands as Thomas is at the prep level. I said, but his balance, vision, and strength allow him to shine. And I think those things all translate. That's from when he was in high school, when he was healthy. I think, Ryan, all those things show that. And another thing I wrote about him then, because, again, that's one, we've only seen him in high school, right? We haven't seen him play a single snap of college football. I said his feel for route running is impressive, and it's even more impressive when you consider he splits the year playing football and baseball, knows how to use the size to get off the line, and his feel for the nuances of route running is outstanding. Thomas also has good ball skills, and he's an excellent blocker. All of that, Ryan, fits to a pro-style slot the way that Tom Reese has used in the past. Now, it's not the only type of slot you can use there, but it fits to what Tom Reese would likes to use there. So I think all of that translates. If that is who he is still, and from everything we've heard, I think it is, those are traits that translate to the next level and and, and translate very well to that slot. And so um, those are part of the reasons why, you know, again, we've never said, I think the people saying Jane Thomas has a chance to be really good are nuts. He's not, it's just, I don't know. I'm seeing the kid play a, a healthy snap of football since his junior year of high school. Sure. You know, so that's why I have a hard time doing it. But the talent, the talent is there. Perfect segue, Brian. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Sure. Brandon Plesner said, B. Ryan, who's the best blocking wide receiver currently on the roster? You just talked about Jane Thomas's blocking a little bit. So I guess I'll go to you, start here. Who yeah. is the best blocking receiver on this roster right now? Well, I mean, one. I don't know. I mean, again, we've seen Lorenzo and we've seen Braden, but none of the other guys we've ever really seen play. I'll game, tell you yeah. who, I'll tell you who I think it's going to be. So Joe Wilkins is a steady blocker. He's a solid blocker. But if they if they move Xavier Watts to receiver, I think your two best blockers this year are going to be Jaden Thomas and Xavier Watts. Jaden, the reason I say about Jaden Thomas, he's a big kid. He's their biggest receiver just pound for pound. And I and I talked about it in his high school film. The one thing I loved about his high school film, there was a lot of clips of him. He put, he put a lot of high school blocking tape on his highlights. That yep. tells me something about a kid. It's either A, you suck and all your good plays are of you blocking. That's not the case for Jane Thomas. Or yeah. B, you take pride in blocking. And, and that's something that I think is true for Jane Thomas. Is he because it's a way, look, it's another way for me to dominate you. 
I'm going to dominate you in the pass as a pass catcher. I'm going to dominate you in the run game. I'm just going to pretty much dominate you all day. So just prepare yourself for that. And that's the kind of the, the way that Jaden played when he was healthy in high school. And even when he wasn't healthy, the one thing he could still do is block. And so I, and, and Xavier's a really strong kid who also is a pretty good blocker in high school. So I think Jaden Thomas and Xavier Watts will be the guys in contention for that. If they move Xavier Watts, if they don't move Xavier Watts, then my prediction is going to be clearly Jaden Thomas. Jayden but again, Thomas. this is a prediction because I haven't seen him play a single snap of college football. Right. But I'll be shocked I, I if he's not a really good blocker. Look, and I don't care if he's that he's not on the roster right now. The answer is Jaden Greathouse. It's going to be right. Jaden Greathouse for the next five years. All right? That's going to be the answer because my guy is a dog. But in all actuality, to Brandon's question, my pick would be Jaden Thomas just because mm-hmm. I don't know if Xavier Watts is definitely going to be a wide receiver or sure. not. Like, it's just speculation at this point. Jaden is, what? what's he, 215 pounds, right? Like, he's a dense, dense dude. I mean, you saw it just in the blue and gold game, man. Like, he is – physically advanced further than mm-hmm. you would think of a, of a sophomore. So I think that he is the easy answer for me as far as blocking. I look forward to seeing Tobias Merriweather also as he continues to fill out that frame because obviously he's got some massive levers, man. So if he's able to extend, then he should probably be a good one as well. But right now I would say Jane Thomas just because he's physically pretty developed at this point. Mm-hmm. So – you have another one up here from Brandon Plesner. B. Ryan, do you think Miles Brennan stepping away from football has anything to do with how the QB battle is shaking out in Baton Rouge? Yes. Yeah. I mean, from what I heard, he was he wasn't going to be the starting quarterback for LSU. So that was kind of the, you know, the the writing on the wall. And I guess it wasn't worth it at that point for him to continue. So he made the decision for himself. So Brandon, everything I, I thought I saw someone put a report out there, so, but I don't want to misspeak here. But everything I've heard, I heard it was going to be Jane Daniels either way. So I think that that was kind of the writing on the wall for Miles Brennan. And I feel bad for the kid, you know, because I, I feel like he was promised some things and then they went back to the portal sure. after he. Wait, hold on. Back. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to stop that blasphemy right now. You're telling me Brian Kelly was misleading to a player, especially a quarterback? I don't believe you. I think he may have misled. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I think he may have misled a little. Brian Kelly has never misled a quarterback on something. I don't believe you. And for people who don't know, I'm being incredibly sarcastic right now. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I, I feel bad for the kid, though. I do, too. I, think that, I mean, Miles Brennan has had so many injuries during his LSU career. He's yeah. played pretty well in spurts when, when he has played. Yeah. But it's just – it's it's very unfortunate how everything yeah. unraveled for him. I wish him the best, though. I, I think he'll be a good professional, whatever he does. Just unfortunately, it didn't work out for him in this, in this circumstance. It's disappointing because, as you said, he's been a good player when healthy. He struggled yep. to stay healthy. But he was in the – I mean, look, first three games of the 2020 season – Against Mississippi State, he threw three for he threw for eleven hundred twelve yards, eleven touchdowns, and three three interceptions that year. Played three games, mm-hmm. three games. Threw for three forty five against Mississippi State, three thirty seven against Vanderbilt, and four thirty versus Missouri when he got hurt. Threw three touchdowns, four touchdowns, four touchdowns in those three games before he got hurt. And and obviously LSU wasn't great in those games, but yeah, I mean when he's been healthy, Miles Brennan's been a shown some potential to be good and instead of transferring somewhere else which is what he was planning to do he got talked into coming back by brian kelly who then later went and got Jaden daniels out of the transfer portal and convinced him to stay and it didn't work out for the kid look the kid made the decision to come back he shouldn't have but you know it just sucks that he's going to be ending his career instead of being able to chance to play another year somewhere else but that's that's what happens when you 
make a decision to, to be part of Brian Kelly's franchise, right? Because it's all about what's best for Brian Kelly. And once you no longer serve a role to that, you're, you're of no use. And some more context to the numbers that he put up in 2020. That was after losing Justin Jefferson who in the first round that after the 2019 season and Jamar Chase opted out of that season as well. So mm-hmm. Terrace Marshall was a good player, but like he was off to a really good start, especially with a lot of turnover at wide receiver for LSU that year as well. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. He was a good football player. Uh, Terrace Marshall had 11 catches for 235 yards. So, well, Terrace Marshall went for over 100 yards three times, two times in those three games. He played four games after that before. Uh, did he get hurt or did he just check out? I forget because I forget why he stopped. Did he? A little bit of both? So there was an injury designation, but I, sure. I heard that he checked okay. out. Yeah. Yep. But he played four games after the, after Miles went down, and he only had one 100-yard game. That was against Texas A&M. So, I mean, clearly those two connected pretty well uh, when mm-hmm. they were in there. But uh, And they also lost a guy that you didn't mention that they lost off that team. Is they lost Thaddeus Moss off the previous year's team as well. It was a who, good good player right. for 2019 team. Right. Lost, and also lost Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of the pass game, who caught 55 passes the year before as a running back. So who was he a lost a first, ton of talent, yeah. Who who went before Jonathan Taylor and, De- and yeah. DeAndre Swift that year, which is also patently right. absurd, but that's another and, yeah, Look, he was him. not – he didn't have – lacked talent. I mean, he had Kayshawn yeah. Boutte was there. You had Eric Gilbert yes. as a freshman. I mean, he had some players, but, again, they were all young, and sure. he was young. So you hate to see it for him, but, unfortunately, that's – part of the game it's part of the game uh mr 2.0 says my one thing with xavier is he isn't viewed as a likely starter at safety isn't he viewed uh as a likely starter at safety next season what about chance tucker to receiver instead he seems like a, a good frame for it so a couple things uh, xavier was going to be part of that conversation next year which is why i think there is some trickiness to whether or not they will or won't move him is if you're xavier watch you're going to be in the rotation this year and you're gonna have a chance to start next year potentially it's not a given though for two reasons number one it's not a given that Brandon Joseph is going to leave after this year. It's not a given. Right. I mean, I, if we were predicting, I think we would probably both predict that he will just because we think he's going to be really good and one of the best safeties next year's draft, but it's not a given that he's going to leave, number sure. one. And then number two, look, there's a pretty good freshman coming in next year who's going to have a, something to say about who starts at safety next year. And I know that people don't like playing freshman, but you know, Peyton Bowen's a kid that I think has a chance to come in and play day one. And, and so, but he would have played there. But I think that's the thing is if you're Xavier, you need to sit there and say to Notre Dame, like, A, you're not moving me again. So if you're going to make this move, it's a permanent move. I don't want to move to receiver and then move back to safety next year. And now I'm playing catch up again. If I'm going to move, you're going to move. And that mean, and if I'm going to move, it means you're going to play me. And if I'm him, like, look, Xavier's already taken a couple for the team. At this point in time, Xavier needs to look out what's best for Xavier, in my opinion, right? And I don't know if you agree with that, but after as much as they've jacked him around, he's in a position where he needs to be able to say, look, no, I'm not moving unless you're going to promise me you're going to play me. I think that's a big, important thing. And and so if he does move, I would think that there's there has to be some sort of assurance that he's going to play. I mean, I would. I, if I was advising him, that's exactly what I would advise him to do, Ryan. You know, but as far as Chance Tucker, there's Jaden Bellamy is another name that I've heard mentioned. The reality is none of those guys are helping you in 2022. Mm-hmm. And you're not taking a guy from another position who's battling for playing time so that he goes and runs on the scout team. You're not doing that. That's unfair. That would that would that would be you're not taking over the team. You're screwing that kid at that point in time. Right. And and there's things you can do in practice that allow your corners to get tested with, with your number ones, even if the scout team receivers aren't great. But if you got Matt Salerno and Connor Radigan down there playing receiver, those are good football players. I mean, they're gonna give you a decent te- 
a decent look. Plus, you can do things in one-on-one, seven-on-seven, half-field reads, where you are challenging each other in, in, in the weeks that you need to do that. So I think I think they can get out of it. But but I, I think that's a legitimate concern. And safety depth chart next year doesn't look as good as it does now. But I would argue that there's other options that they have for safety. Clarence Lewis, if the other young corners step up, I would love for Clarence. I've said if Clarence Lewis is a starting safety at Notre Dame, my opinion of him as a player would be tremendously different because I think that's a role that would fit him very well. Philip Riley's a guy that I think could move there, especially with the corners. You look, look, you've got, you've got. If you move Philip Riley and Clarence Lewis, you'd still have two corners in the sophomore class that would go into next year with three years of eligibility left. You'd have two corners in in the current class. That's Chance Tucker and Ryan Barnes. You'd have two corners in the current freshman class, or excuse me, three corners in the current freshman class in Jaden Mickey, Benjamin Morrison, and, and Jaden uh, Bellamy. Plus, you'd have two corners coming in next year, at least one of which could, could crack the rotation early on in Christian Gray and Micah Bell. You'd have seven corners. Even if you moved Clarence Lewis and Chance Tucker, you'd still have seven cornerbacks on scholarship next year. And so, to me, that they've got the numbers at corner to move guys to safety where, honestly, Ryan, I think their games are better suited and still move Xavier Watts, the receiver, who also, I think, is better suited as a wide receiver. That's my bias. I'm being honest. I do believe he's a better receiver than he is a safety. That's So I'm just going to be honest with you. That's my personal opinion, my bias. Um, you know, so I, I think there's plenty of options there to still have the depth and the talent to, to be good at safety, even if you did move Xavier to offense. I, agree. I mean, you have options. There's options here. It's it's really interesting to see because, I, I mean, I really want this to be the final move for Xavier Watts, but I don't know if it's going to be, you know? Like, it's it's one of those things where you mentioned it. It's it's almost like a recruiting pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the staff needs to kind of sell him on the vision. Like, what, what am I, what's the next step for me? And is that the, the step, right? Like, because I feel like it's just so back and forth with Xavier Watts. If he is going to make the transition, I want him to play. There's no doubt about it because, I mean, he has done everything you've asked of him, switching positions, doing all that type of stuff. And he's had – I mean, he had some nice spurts, I thought, last year at safety. Like, I thought he had some really good signs. But if you're going to make that move, I don't want to sacrifice development just to fill a number, right? Like, he, if he if he's going to make the, the switch, I think it's because he's going to impact you in 2022. So, interesting to see. I – Chance Tucker to wide receiver. I, I mean, I I've never seen him catch a football or run a route, so I I right. can't answer that conversation. I mean, I right. I have seen Xavier Watts run routes though on his high school film, so like right. at least I know that he's done it. So and he's done be- it at Notre Dame. That's sure. the other thing about Chance Tucker and Jaden Bellamy. If you move them to receiver, they're starting from scratch. Yes, a year ago today, Xavier Watts was playing wide receiver at Notre Dame. Seven months. No, let me think here. So. He didn't move until like October, I believe, Mm -hmm. is when he finally moved. Late September, early October is when he moved. So he spent more time at Notre Dame playing wide receiver than he has safety. As far as not, so that's the other thing too, is that's why Xavier's really the only option that can help you because he's the only guy that knows the offense. He knows the plays. He knows the alignments. He knows, I mean, you're not starting him from scratch. It'd be like taking a chance Tucker, basically like you signed a freshman, who didn't go through spring ball and then missed the first two weeks of fall camp and wasn't even allowed in meetings. He had mono, so he was sitting in the dorm, not in meetings, not in film, not doing anything, not getting any coaching. He's literally starting from scratch two weeks in the fall camp. 
that would be what Jaden Bellamy and, and Chance Tucker would be going through. That's not fair to them, and it doesn't help you. Xavier Watts can pick get up to speed much quicker. Yep. And Tommy Reese knows what Xavier Watts can and can't do at wide receiver because he coached him for two seasons. So that's why I think Xavier Watts is the one that makes the most sense. And the only way that I would not move him is if he says, no, I don't want to. And I can't sure. blame him. I can't blame him if he doesn't want to do that. I completely understand where Xavier would be coming from if he decides that's not what he wants to do. I just hope he, he does move because I think he can help you. And I, I really do. I think Xavier Watts can move. And by the time you get to September 3rd, that kid's playing for you and helping you. I, and then as the season goes on, he can help you even more. But that's that's where I like that's why I like him there. And those other guys just they're just not gonna play there, right? I mean, that's the thing is you're not helping those kids at all. You're you're not. They're not gonna play. I mean, if 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 they have to put Chance Tucker wide receiver or Jane Bellamy wide receiver this year, Notre Dame's in big trouble. Big trouble. That's not the case with Xavier Watts, in my opinion. Just, yeah, that's like a, that's not. like an emergency option type of thing. Right. Like it's it's that would be completely out of necessity, not out of you know just a guy being a guy, right? Like that's yes, I agree completely to that. Yep. Next question that we have from Brian J. Irish, Brian and Ryan, is this really Ryan Day's best Ohio State team ever? I keep hearing this on multiple Ohio State podcasts. I just don't see it on defense. I think even Archer would tell you. That That's absurd. Yeah. The Ohio State podcasts are full of homers. I mean, they're, they're not giving you real analysis. It, they are about as homers as you can be, most of them. Um, I was on an Ohio State podcast today with a guy named Jay Stevens. He seems much more reasonable than most of the stuff I hear from Ohio State. But, I no, I don't think this – I mean, 2019 to me is still Ryan Day. His first team is still his best team. They had a great offense that year, and that was the only team they had that had a good defense. That was the Jeff Halfley. Yeah, 2019. That's the year that Jeff Halfley was their defensive coordinator. That's the team that took Clemson, the defending national champs, down to the wire. I mean, they're an interception in the end zone away from beating Clemson in 2019, and that was a good Clemson team. Sure was. You know, so, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think this is his best team. No, I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you think or where it stacks up. Right? I think it'll be better than his last two teams. I do. You think uh, so? I Even do. 2020? Yeah, because uh, I didn't think they were that good in 2020. They played six freaking games to yeah, get to the I playoffs. I, I still think that, like, from a full roster perspective, they were just more ta- – like, a better team overall. Per, I mean, you know? I, I'll put it like this. I don't think they yeah. were, but I'm not going to argue with you about it either. It's gotcha. You can have a good conversation. I just don't think the team was that good because they missed all of spring. They missed all of – I mean, that was not – I mean, they were not well coached. They made a lot of mistakes. They were talented. Mm-hmm but they weren't a great team because of all that other stuff. That's my issue with that team. If you want to go maybe right. like NFL draft prospects, you could be right. But I just never, I was never impressed with that team. I thought the Clemson game was a bit of an anomaly. Mm-hmm. What we saw against Alabama in Northwestern and in Indiana was more indicative of what that team was than what we saw against Clemson. But it was town. Yeah. And I think the Clemson game speaks to what you're saying, Ryan, mm-hmm. is whatever you say, Brian, there's one thing about that team. It was very athletic and talented. That sure. I'll give you. That sure. I'll definitely give you. It was a very athletic team. I just think yeah. it was a great team because of like all the issues I've mentioned. That team had no business being in the playoff. Six yeah, freaking games. I know. Six that, games. That whole season was a mess, man. The whole Big Ten and Pac-12 cancellations and all. It was that was a mess. It was absolutely a mess. I would yeah. agree though. 2019, just off the top of my head, like that was a good football team. It yeah. really was. That first year with Justin Fields, like they were they were a really talented team. So that would be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see this team being as good as that. Like, that's – yeah, I think that's high expectations, very high expectations. How about this? Could this be their best offensive team? Yes. Yeah. 
You could sell that 2019 that. I mean, team was also pretty good on offense. Sure, but that sure. would be my question for you is could because well, they need the, Cincinnati I mean, the last, that year. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say the last. I mean, this past year, I mean, you had two first round picks of wide receiver. You had another that were, that caught over 1,600 yards. Mm-hmm. You had a thousand yard freshman as a running back, and you had a quarterback that threw what 48 touchdowns or 40 mm-hmm. something touchdowns, whatever it ended up being. So, yeah. It can, it could be though. I mean, I wouldn't put it past. I mean, sure. We have to see what the development of the other wide receiver or outside of Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like if Marvin Harrison Jr. really is that guy, right. or if he's just a really good player. But I mean, it could happen for sure. sure. I expect the offensive line to be a lot better than last year, which would be a big yes. Player. I agree. Here's why I would state the case for why it has a chance to be. Now, the thing about that 2019 offense is. Yeah, obviously Justin Fields, and you had good receivers. You know, you had Chris Olave, KJ Hill, Garrett Wilson was a freshman, Austin Mack. They had a great running back in 2019, and he was a veteran, J.K. Dobbins. And obviously last year's offense was really good too, but here's why I'll make my case. That year in 2019, they had a first-year starter quarterback in Justin Fields. And, And while Justin put up insane numbers that year, he played a pretty soft schedule that year. It was. They had a lot of inflated numbers because of the schedule, but they did blast Cincinnati 42 to nothing. You know, they, they scored 38 on Wisconsin the first time they played. They scored 34 on Wisconsin the second time they played. And if you remember, that was a really good Wisconsin defense. Yeah. Uh, you know, they hung 73 on Maryland, 52 on Northwestern. I mean, they, they blew a lot of teams out, but I, I don't think those were really good teams. I thought Michigan was very overrated that year. And I just kind of felt like they just out-talented people that year. The thing I like about this team potentially, and again, I don't think it may be true by the opener, but it will be true by the middle end of the season, is they're not going to have to rely on the receivers to be so dang good. Your C.J. Stroud's going into year two. And I think to your point, I think where the offensive line is going to have the biggest benefit to Ohio State this year is I think once it kind of gets their groove, because you know, you're moving some guys around, and, and, and Notre Dame's moving guys to guard where I think it's a little easier to then to move a guy from guard to tackle, even if you did used to play that position. You've got some new guys stepping in, all those other type of things. But they're they're changing the mentality just like Notre Dame is. They're, that's why you hired Justin Fry. He is a, I mean, Steve Adazio disciple, physical, run the ball. I mean, UCLA was a pretty physical running team last year, Ryan. Now, will he be able to get him going as quickly as we expect here? He stand, I think that's the question mark. I think that's the, the thing, me, is the big question because – you had two young studs last year, quarterback and running back. They're now a year older. I don't see them regressing, you know, so I don't think the receiving core has to be as good as it was last year, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, will yeah. it be better than 2019? That's the thing is, so it's it's either last year or 19, right? I don't think the 2020 offense was that great. And, again, for all the reasons we talked about, not that they didn't have talent, but they didn't have an offseason, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going through a global pandemic. You can't be around each other for several months. Right. And we're going to have a season. These kids have mentally checked out because they didn't think they were going to have a season. Right. You know, like you had guys, I think some of their players were actually went into the portal and were going to leave, if I remember correctly, before they decided to come back. I Man. think that's what happened. But it's 19 or 21. I think receiving core in 2022 should be still better than the 2019 group, in my opinion. I mean, I think your leading receiver that year was K.J. Hill, if I remember correctly. Yes, that sounds right. So – you know, I expect them to be better there. Let me let me actually go look at this real quick because I want to make sure that I'm accurate. Yes, Chris Olave was their leading receiver in 2019. KJ Hill, uh, yards wise, KJ Hill was their leading receiver in catches with 57. Gotcha. They had mm-hmm. Benjamin Victor. Garrett Wilson was a freshman. 
You had Austin Mack, who was a little was banged up that year. Your tight end was Jeremy Rucker, who only caught 14 passes. And then J.K. Dobbins caught 23 balls. So when I looked at this team, Jackson Smith and Jigba is better now than what anything they had in 2019. Because, again, Chris Olave was young. And, and you know, K.J. Hill's a nice player, but that's it, right? I mean, he doesn't start on this team, in my opinion. No. I, I don't think he does. I don't think so either. So I think the talent at receivers better. And, and I'll make the same argument for them that I just made about Notre Dame. I don't care about experience as much at receiver and running back. I don't. I care about talent. If you have the talent and you're getting coached well, you're going to be good. Right. And that's why I think they're going to have a good receiving core, uh, better than 19. I think Travion Henderson – and J.K. Dobbins is a really interesting conversation yeah. that we could probably do a whole show on. Uh, Dobbins who's, who's was really you know, good. He was year, really good, was but really I good. think yeah. I think that uh, I think that that Travion Henderson has a chance to be really good. Uh, is he going to be two thousand yards and twenty one touchdowns good like J.K. was in two thousand nineteen? No, I don't think he's going to be that. <laughs> uh, but I think he's going to be good. And I like the depth at running back this year, uh, even with the Evan Pryor loss. They're not as deep as they've been. I like Notre Dame's depth better. I've said this before in the past, uh, especially when we thought they are going to have Jadarian Price. But losing Evan Pryor, who it was announced this year, this today that he's out for the year with a knee injury, really takes a big hit to that depth. Yeah. But, you know, it's going to come down to the O-line, Ryan. So, like, backfield in 2019, a little better than this group. I think the receiving core is better. Uh, you know, is C.J. Stroud better than Justin Fields? That's a debate we can have. But I think sure. the offensive line is is going to be the big key. Is the offensive line going to be played to its potential? That, I think, is going to be the, the difference. But there's no question that the defense will not be what it was in 2013, 2019. I, yes. I, no way. Not. Absolutely not. Yeah. No way. They don't yeah. have any – they do not have a Malik Harrison, a Pete Werner linebacker. I don't care how much you want to sell me on Steel Chambers. He ain't Malik Harrison and he ain't I'm, Pete Werner. Would never say that he is. Yeah. Yeah. Had Jordan Fuller on that team. You had Chase Young on that team. You had Baron Browning on that team. You had Jeff Akuda on that team. Like Mm -hmm. that defense was way better than this defense, in my opinion. And I don't care. He is not a wizard. No argument. Right. Jim Knowles is not a wizard. Uh, (laughs) You know, he's not happening. So uh, that's where I'm at. Very good question. Very good question. Very good question. P-Dub with a recruiting question. What is your thought on the new DN target, Jaden Moore? Also, how many Jadens, Jadens do we have on the team? That's a good question. I want to say one thing real quick, Ryan, to preface before. Every time Notre Dame offers a, an edge player, that's not the guy they're targeting. It's right. them expanding the board in case there's a need for them to expand the board, right? So this is just them doing their due diligence, and I'll leave it at that. But it does not mean that he is that guy. P-Dub is not saying that, but we've had that's been a kind of a common reaction every time they offer a kid. Uh, yeah. So he's just a guy they're adding to the board. That mm-hmm. is it. Now, Ryan, as far as kind of things that maybe you like, you don't like, how he kind of would fit in that position, I'll allow you to answer it. And, yes, Notre Dame likes recruiting guys named Jaden, apparently. Yes. Jaden and Jalen, yeah. a lot of those guys. Jaden Greathouse, Jaden Osbury. Jaden Mickey. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, Jalen Bellamy, Jaden Bellamy. Yeah, there's a lot of Jadens on Notre Dame's football team. Yeah, no, there absolutely is. Jaden Moore. Is, <clears throat> so let's start with the interesting stuff, right? You want to go to Max Preps and check out his check out his stats for a second. He was on a team in 15 games, I think it was, or 16 games it may have been. He had 155 total tackles playing on the edge, 30 tackles for loss, and 17 and a half sacks. So he had some just absolutely stupid production last year as a junior. That was in one season, by the way. That was in one season. He plays in California. This is 
So this is what he is stylistically as a player. 6'3", 225 pounds listed. I watched his film. I saw a decent amount of twitch. I saw change, okay change of direction. I saw a frame that I think could add a decent amount more weight. And he is a relentless football player. He played hard from snap to snap until the end of the whistle. I like that stuff a lot. I'm missing bend with him right now. And I'm missing real ability to win outside track. I actually thought he had some decent power. Like he was a pretty good speed to power converter. So I think as he continues to get bigger, he has some pop in his hips and he has some ability to gain weight and, and um, have those types of upside. I'm looking forward to seeing him for his senior season because I mean, the production's wild, Brian. Like, I mean, just from, from a one year sample size, he had some silly, silly production out of the state of California. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I just, you know, people are wanting, going to want to compare him to a certain player, right? And he's not that guy. But it's right. an interesting edge group that they are building. The board that's with guys like Malik, uh, Caleb Herring and guys like Blake Purchase, they're interesting football players, and I look forward to seeing how he develops. All I know, though, is that he has some nice moments on film, and he has some just absolutely absurd production to him. Next question. John Zabrowski asks, Ryan, what is Lindsay's ceiling this year? Could he blow the roof off and be a first-round pick? No no way to the second part, John, in my opinion. I mean, he, he's just not the high-volume kid to ever warrant no. that value, in my opinion. Look, if Brandon Lindsay plays up to his talent level, I think he's a draftable player, for sure. I just think that you're going to be dealing with one year of production, and you're going to be dealing with limited volume. And he's not the biggest guy in the world. So I think he's more a mid to late day three type of football player if he puts it all together teams are still going to quote unquote gamble on him a little bit because they've only seen if if he had if he has a big season he's had spurts of productions in the past but it would really only be one big year of production right so i think that it's still a day three type of football player but he has a big opportunity to make himself a a absolutely draftable player based on the traits he has but we'll see kevin park asked don't you believe the entire season on offense is dependent on the offensive line only to a degree. Not all of it. I mean, uh, yeah, look, yeah. if the offensive line plays great, but the quarterback stinks, it, it won't matter. I mean, if, right. if, if the quarterback plays great and the offensive line stinks, um, th- you know, then it doesn't matter. You know, I think those are the things to, to me. Uh, sorry, Ryan, I'm getting like a million things going on. Uh, so, 87,000 people texting me and needing this and needing that and all that kind of stuff. So I, I apologize, but look, it, it's got, if they're going to be a great offense, they all got to play well. Sure. You know, uh, it, it the quarterbacks got to play well, running backs got to play well, receivers got to play well, tight ends got to play well, offensive lines got to play well. Uh, but I will say this. I think that, that the, the biggest neutralizer of to the, the biggest uh, sort of the, the thing that could hurt the team the most is the offensive line. The offensive line can't do it by itself, but where I'll give Kevin's comment a lot of validity is the offensive line struggling can drag every other group down much more so than any other position. Because if the quarterback's not great, there's things you can do to get a, to, 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 to be okay there, right? Receivers can step up. You can design plays. You can scheme certain things to, to give your quarterback success, right? If the receivers are just okay, you know, there's other things you can do. If the offensive line's not good, it drags everything else down. And the perfect example of that is last year. You know, uh, 
I think Notre Dame had a lot more talent on offense than people realize. They just never got a chance to show it because, A, they were poorly coached at, from the, the technical level at receiver, and, B, the offensive line stunk for most of the year. So that is what I will say, Ryan. What say you? Yeah. No, I, I agree with a lot of your points. Offensive line, I think, can be the huge tone setter, obviously, to an offense. And I'm a traditionalist in the fact that I think you win from the inside out. So mm-hmm. I think it could definitely lim- – I mean, you saw the limiting factors of the team just last year, right? I mean, Kyron Williams was making chicken sa- ch- chicken salad out of chicken bleep a little bit at times, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was doing that type of work for this team. And the, I mean, Jack, we, we had a question yesterday about how much Jack Cohn's arm strength maybe was limited at times because the offensive protection was not as good as it needed to be at times. Right. So I think if, as long as the offensive line is better, I think that you're going to see those playmakers have a lot more opportunities. And I agree with you though, Brian, to the sense of like, if a wide receiver group isn't great, there's still other ways that you can supplement that production, right? You can supplement rushing production to a degree as well. Passing, you know, the quarterback versus offensive line conversation, I feel like that, that could be a pretty decent back and forth, you know, but I think that the offensive line really can hinder things a lot more than than we would even anticipate sometimes. So I agree with you. I think the, I think the it does. I agree to Kevin's point. I think offensive line is the main factor that will kind of set the table, but I definitely don't think it's the only factor. Everybody needs to play well. Now, there's a question that Antoine uh, had, Ryan, and I want to I want to throw this at you. Antoine is a, is a Michigan fan. He's another one of the non-Notre Dame fans that does a great job in our chat, so we welcome him. Here's my question for you, Ryan, because I actually think there's some merit to this. It says, Jim Knowles' defense is designed for his pass-happy conference it came from. I still want to see this defense do something against tight ends and fullbacks with all them safety. So let, let, me, let me speak to that, just my initial thoughts, Ryan, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. I think Oklahoma State was pretty good against the run last year. The The thing is, though, it, it wasn't necessarily a league that was great uh, at running the ball, per se. You know, it, it's, it's not a conference that necessarily has a bunch of great rushing teams, but I actually think they were a pretty good rush defense last year. I will also say this. That wasn't necessarily a trend of all his defenses. And I do think he has pl- coached in leagues that are a little bit passive, the eight, and because he, he was in the ACC before that, also not a league that's designed around physical, powerful running teams. But I also think one of the misnomers about the Big 12 is the Big 12 was a little different deal last year than it had been in previous years. The Big 12 had a lot of teams that could run the football last year. Baylor was a physical running football team. Iowa State had the best running back in the country, in my opinion, last year. Now, his production wasn't always there because. Like I said, at times they they didn't run it as much. But if I could have any running back on the in the country last year, I'd probably take Brees Hall. That's just my personal and opinion. I, Iowa State's offensive line was terrible. Yes, last year, which people don't talk about. At and all. he still averaged five point eight yards a carry. Had twenty touchdowns and rushed for over fourteen years. And he doesn't exactly have like burners on the outside taking the pressure off of him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if Charlie Colner uh, is the guy, Charlie Kohler is the guy that you're expecting to take the pressure off of you. You know. Uh, you you get you know where I'm going with this, Ryan. Yeah. So I actually think the Big 12 was a little bit more physical last year than it had been, and that's when his defense was at its best. So I don't know if I accept the premise that his defense is designed for that, although it is true that he has come from leagues where it was a bit more of a pass-happy type of situation. So I, that's I, so I'm having a little tough time kind of answering that, but I, I don't yeah. think it's necessarily geared to that. I'll say this. If he is intent on running a 3-3-5, I would be happy if I'm Notre Dame. 
it's it's adapt to survive, man. I mean, look, he went he adopted more of a three three five approach because of the teams that he was playing against, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like they're like to your point, they may have been a little more run heavy than in recent years this past year, but for the most part, the Big Twelve has been a pass happy league over the last few years. So you have to adapt to to have the production in that department if you are a Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State in recent years. I will give him some leeway to Antoine's question because I do think Jim Knowles is a really smart defensive coach. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that he will adapt and I think that he will find his footing. I think that what does play in the Notre Dame's favor to his point though, is the fact that Notre Dame has some tight ends, obviously that they can throw out there and they can create some mismatches. I believe, especially Michael Mayer, obviously he's a proven commodity. So early on in the season, I think that there are ways that you can take advantage of Jim Knowles, especially if he is sticking sort of to what he's done in the past. But I think by the end of the season, Jim Knowles, or even by the middle of the season, probably, well, I, I, th- I do think that Jim Knowles is going to be much more of a diverse defensive scheme. I think you'll see some three-man. I think you'll see, see some four-man fronts. But I think he will adapt eventually to, to fit into the style of the league. But I do think it is a legitimate concern early on to heavy run teams, to teams that utilize tight ends. I think Notre Dame can take advantage of some things early on, but I do have faith that Jim Knowles will figure it out because I do I do respect him as a defensive mind. Yeah. There's something else about it that, that I hear this a lot. I've seen this from several Notre Dame fans, and I, I don't I don't understand it. John Jabrowski says Ohio State has a good secondary, in my opinion. The rest of the defense is pretty weak. I, I, I I've seen people say this before. I don't I don't get that. Ohio State ranked 96 in the country last year in pass defense and yards allowed per game. Yep. You know they they weren't exactly a a defense that he also was necessarily good at you know yards per attempt. I mean they gave up over 400 passing yards to Tulsa in a game that was more competitive than the final score would dictate. I just I don't really understand why some people actually say that. I I, I I'm really having a hard time with that. It's just, you know, it's just names, you know. Right. I mean, like Denzel Burke's a talented kid. Cameron Brown's a talented kid. Ronnie Hickman's a talented right. kid. But it hasn't been great, obviously, right. right? That's why those rankings and those why those numbers are the way they yeah. are. If Jim Knowles can get the best out of them, then like maybe sure. Yeah. I mean, but they just had a guy now, transfer in from an Oklahoma State defense that Notre Dame threw for over 500 yards against, and he was considered their first or second best player. You know, it's like Tanner McAllister, who Lorenzo Styles torched for a touchdown on the first drive of the game. So, I, you know, I don't I don't know. I just don't see it. I, I've had somebody say, Josh Proctor's a first-round draft pick. Okay, oh, no. I guess. I mean, I don't know where the heck that's coming from. But, no, no, like, no, no, to no, me, no. if you put Notre Dame and, and Ohio State's secondaries together on a roster, two of the three best players are Notre Dame guys, in my opinion. And and the reason I guess I have an issue with this is because those same people a lot of times will then say Notre Dame's secondary is the big question mark. Notre Dame was better statistically last year than than Oklahoma than Ohio State was. I think their top level talents every bit as good as Ohio State's is, and Ohio State has question marks in the secondary just like Notre Dame does. I don't understand this this constant drumbeat of Ohio State's good. I still feel like people are living in the past. Like this is not a Jeff Okuda defensive backfield. This is not the 2015 backfield with like three first and second round picks in their starting lineup. I just, right. I don't see it now. I could be wrong. And maybe it was coaching. Maybe their secondary was horribly coached and that's possible. And to a degree it is true. Statistically, sure. at least part of it was coaching, but I don't think this is like a, 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 a Ohio state defensive that we've seen in the past that had like five, I mean like 
2015, Marshawn Latimer couldn't even get in the starting lineup, <laughs> right? Like, that's yeah. how insane that secondary was. This isn't that, in my opinion. Denzel Burke's a good football player, but he's – I just think because he's at Ohio State, he started as a freshman, there's an assumption that he's a future top five NFL draft pick, and I just – I haven't seen that yet. I, yeah. That, you know – I, th- I think it's a little bit of both areas. Like, I do think that it's oversold because it's the Ohio State thing, mm-hmm. for sure, and the, the lineage they have had producing defensive backs. Mm-hmm. But then it's also, I mean, talent-wise, they're much better than the 97th. That should be the 97th-ranked pass, pass defense. But until they prove it, that's what they are, right? So right. We'll, we'll see. They have upside, right. but they have to put it together. So I guess. I don't know, man. I just Even the upside, I just – I don't know. I don't see it. I really don't see it. I mean, this same secondary gave up over 400 yards three times in eight games in 2020. You know what I mean? Like, at what point? I mean, I know coaching was bad, but dude, you know, I just, I don't know. I guess I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. I hope I'm right. <laughs> That's the one thing I will say. I sure hope I'm right I hope you're uh, right on too. this one. Let's get to some more here. We had ended up getting some really good questions here today, so I, I, I really like these. Let's get to this next one. Connor Patton says, why does Notre Dame always get so many injuries before the season begins? Is this normal? I don't think it's – I don't think I necessarily agree with the premise. I think that they've had some injuries. I think there have been years in the past where that happened a lot. You know, like that's when they was under a different strength program. I don't think they've had an abnormal amount of – it's just been some key guys like Maris last year, yeah. you know, Kevin Austin the year before – the only concern I have is that there's been a lot of foot injuries. That makes me con- a little bit more concerned. I don't want to speak beyond that because I'm not a medical professional and I don't know why that would be. But, I mean, this is going on around the country. I mean, Ohio State just lost Evan Pryor for the season. They've got depth issues at, at cornerback. You know, oh, Texas just lost some players. Uh, who, who was it? Uh, North Carolina lost their starting running back to a season-ending injury. There was another Notre Dame. Uh, Torrey Stiletto from Clemson is going to be out for is I think he's out for the year. He was supposed to be a key part of their rotation. Right now, EJ Williams and Bo Collins are both out right now. Uh, expected back by the time the season starts, but they're out right now. Xavier Thomas got hurt again. He should be back by the time the season starts. And I hope he is. I would hate if that kid goes down with another season-ending injury. Doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. Right. But everybody's doing this. This is fo- this is football. I think I think the difference now is is we see it more because of how saturated we are with news, you know, yeah. where Twitter can just tell us like, you just see all these posts about this kid's hurt. That kid's hurt. I don't think it's absolutely that abnormal. I think some years it's more than others, but I think a lot of them are just tough breaks, you know? And, yeah. and, and I don't mean that in like any kind of like trying to be funny pun intended kind of way. It just, it's just sometimes stuff happens. And I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's that, I just think we see it more at Notre Dame because we follow Notre Dame more. And, sure. But it's happening all over. Yeah, no, it, it stinks every year. I mean, whatever team that you root for, I mean, whether it's on the NFL, college level, whatever, like injuries are going to happen. We're playing a contact sport. We're playing a very violent sport with a lot of athletic guys, a lot of powerful dudes. And, I mean, that's that's just the reality of the situation, right? Like injuries are going to happen. I don't think it's abnormal at all. I, it's a couple I – mean, it's a couple ones that you don't want to see. So like, far. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is there wood here? Yeah, got some behind you. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, but to your point though, it's just we cover it so closely, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh man, Notre Dame's getting hit by the injury bug a little bit, but it's like, is it more than any other team really is dealing with it? I mean, like you said, Texas just lost Roshan Johnson. I mean, um, 
Yeah, Roshan Johnson. Johnson's yeah. his last name, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. The receiver you're former, talking about? Yeah. No, nah, the running back, former high school quarterback. Now they're back up running back. They also, I, think it's, I thought they also lost a receiver. Or am I am I thinking Roshan was that's what I'm thinking? Oh about. no, I'm sorry. So Roshan went down for I think for a couple practices. Uh-huh. Isaiah Nayer was the one that's out yeah. for the season, the wide yeah. receiver. And then their yeah. starting guard, junior something, right. is out for the season as right. well. So yeah, I mean they've been hit and Again, if we were if we were a Texas recruiting podcast, which would suck, then we could, you know, we would hyper focus on those guys getting injured. But, you know, Notre Dame is what we know. So, yeah. Good question. Good. Very good Mm -hmm. question. Let's get to some next here. Um, Robert Bishop says, why didn't Coach Holtz continue coaching at Notre Dame? If I remember correctly, he went to South Carolina after us. So he clearly wanted to continue coaching. I you know, it's funny. I was talking with a friend of mine last night about this. And I think it just kind of got to the end of his tenure at Notre Dame. There was a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, it, it, he has, he had had health problems. If you remember, there was a time when he was wearing the neck brace on the sideline and there were some games he coached up near the end where he was coaching from the press box because of health issues. His wife, Beth, was having health issues at the time. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on at the institutional level. They were fighting him along the way. And it just – I just think he was burned out. And I think that, you know, I think that he didn't feel appreciated by Notre Dame and he wasn't appreciated by the Notre Dame administration. But if you remember, he did leave Notre Dame and coach of South Carolina, but there was two seasons in between where he didn't coach. So I think he needed that time to heal, get his mind right. And, you know, he went to, to South Carolina, uh, went 0-11 in the first year and then led them to bowl games the next two years. But I think he was just burned out. And, and I think there was, he was being pulled in so many other directions. He did, was doing all the speaking engagements and all that kind of stuff that I think he just was burned out and Notre Dame was not appreciating him. And, and I think those are the different, the, the different aspects of it. And so Ryan, we, we did get this answered this question earlier, but I just needed to pull it up because of the name. This is great. Yes. BK, <laughs> BK PTSD victim. Uh, is there any more Intel on Xavier Watts moving back to receiver? Also first time doing live chat, excited to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here. Certainly. As far as intel, except I have not heard definitively that the move is going to be made. I have heard enough intel to make me think it's definitely an option. We'll find out for sure if that's going to happen or not, hopefully here soon. Uh, but I, I am not reporting here that that is definitely happened. I just I just think it's going to happen from what I've been told. So uh, when it will happen, is it definitive? Are they just going to give him a try? Are they going to cross train him? I mean, there's so many other things I don't know. That's why I don't want to just come out and say he's moving to receiver because there's a lot. It could just be just part time. He's going to play both. I don't know. So, but uh, but I just love the name BKPTSD victim. That's so you sh- great. You should start another podcast, Brian, called B- BKPTSD something. Yeah, in which you just talk about all your Brian Kelly stories. That there would be go. fantastic. And that would actually be a very popular podcast. I'm not going to do it, it would but it would, so it would be a very popular. popular podcast. Yes, there's no doubt. John Wayne's Winchester, Brian. You mentioned that the receivers as a group can run. How many secondaries in the schedule will they be faster than? You want to take a crack at that, Ryan? Yeah, uh, I mean, let's think about it. We're so Ohio, Ohio State, State, yeah, right. Yeah, is Notre Dame faster as a unit than Ohio State is? I think it's close. It's close. I think that's one was close. Point. Yep. Yeah, that's a close. One. Marshall, Cal, no. Uh, North Carolina, yes, in some spots, but as a yeah. whole, I think Notre Dame. I would give him the edge. More I mean, outside of, I know Tony Grimes is a good, a talented yeah. football player. He can Storm run. Duck, I think, is a tough kid, but I don't think he's like exceptionally. Fast, he's more know. savvy cover guy physical yeah. i think than he is the flat out can run they have a another young kid whose name escapes me right now who can really run 
but uh, they're more. They got a couple guys at the top as a whole secondary. Sure. No, they they can't yes. roll Notre Dame. Uh, yeah. You have BYU. No, Stanford. No. Again, couple really good players in the Stanford secondary. Yeah. But if we're talking about faster, the question was faster. Uh, Kelly kid or whatever, but yeah, he's not but... like a burner. I don't think you know he's the, just the, long, right? He's the long. safety that they had last year that that missed a lot of time. I think it's a good player again whose name escapes me. I'm having one of those days, Ryan. I'm having an old guy. You're good day. man, You're good. But uh, you know he's a good player. Uh, but speed, no. Syracuse, no. Again, Garrett Williams is really Syracuse good. This is actually a conversation, though. At you least, think so? Top to bottom. See, because I think they Garrett, got two yeah. guys that can run. But I don't they, know. They have two. I mean, yeah. both their starting corners can really run. Right. Garrett Williams can run, and then Deuce Chestnut on the other side can run as well. Yeah. So, the the one on one matchups sure. I think are a little comparable. But, but safety, I agree with you yeah. from a full scope. Right. Notre Dame does. Okay, win, so let's but, say yeah. let's say their two corners can run with Braden Lindsay and whoever the W is. Who's running with Lorenzo Styles in the slot? Exactly that, why wins that would out. Yep. that would be my thing. Point. But it is kind of funny that Syracuse is one of the few teams that we are talking about having the, the kind of speed because a lot of people may not assume that. But like you said, Garrett Williams is a kid that's getting a lot of day one, day two uh, NFL draft man. conversations, and, and he's he can run, like you said. They may – this is weird to think about, but they may have the best cornerback duo on the schedule for Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean – Deuce Who, Chestnut had a quietly really yeah, good Ohio State year last year. should have should have in the be in the conversation. A good one. Right. Yeah, sure. I think Clemson has some guys that have some reputation. I don't know. I don't know if I would put them there. I don't I'm not a yeah. huge fan of their secondary, uh, which leads us to them part of this conversation. I don't think sec I don't think Clemson's secondary is as fast as Notre Dame's. Now they may be better players, but I they speed yeah. speed. USC secondary is not what it's been in the past. Uh it's it's not there. BC, no. Navy, no. Who are we leaving out? I mean, it's really Ohio State and, and and Syracuse as the potential two best, you know, athlete, you know, speedy secondaries. And then the conversation of who's the best corner tandems. I think it comes down to Syracuse or Ohio State. Yeah. Again, because I think Ohio State's secondary is overrated from the way people are hyping it up, but it's I'm not saying they suck, mm-hmm. right? There's good players there. I just this Alan, is not yeah. Jeff Okuda. This is not you know, Eli Apple and Von Bell and, Ward and yes, yeah, yes, yeah, right. it's just not that. Maybe next year, but not we'll see. not right now. In my that's opinion. fair. Mike Michaels asks, "Who will be more ready as a true freshman, Merriweather or Greathouse, Jaden Greathouse?" I, I would say Jaden Greathouse. I think it's a conversation piece because we've literally have seen Tobias Merriweather come in and already compete at a pretty good level, and that he's going to we believe have a role in this offense, or we we think strongly that he's going to have a role in this offense, right? But I mean, Jaden Greathouse, if he's anything, has an incredibly high floor. So, I mean, I honestly think that I'm not for the reclassification thing, right, Brian? And it's already past that conversation point mm-hmm. anyway. But if you could dump Jaden Greathouse right now onto this year's roster, I feel like he would come in and he would compete. He would compete for playing time, sure. you know, just as from a floor perspective. So I would lean Jane Greathouse, but I do think it's a really good conversation. I would accept yeah. either way. I think they're different. I think that 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 Tobias to me brings more vertical ability as a freshman than Jaden has. But I, I mean, honestly, if you're just going to talk about physically ready to play, he is the most physically ready to play receiver since Michael Floyd in 2008. Just body. I mean, just he's going to be big enough and strong enough to play like a veteran day one. He's also a really savvy kid that comes from a pretty nuanced offense in high school. 
So, yes, I would say I would. And that's partly why Jaden has gone way up in my rankings, Ryan, is because of that floor is so high that I think he can be that guy. But it, part of my answer is going to be is, well, what are your needs? Right. You know, I mean, ready to do what? Ready to be a vertical player? Okay, well, that's that's Tobias Merriweather. Vertical be a pure boundary that can be win one-on-ones? That's Tobias Merriweather. A guy that's going to come in and physically be ready to compete and maybe catch at a higher volume? That's Jaden Greathouse. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, it just depends on what you're looking for. But, but yeah, Jaden is a pretty advanced, nuanced player. There's no question about that. There's no yep. question about that. He's certainly the most ready to play as a freshman. How would you rank the the 2023 class as much as we love it in just regards to regard to playing as a freshman? I would sure. go Great House, Rico, Braylon James, Dylan Edwards. As far as full-time receivers, full-time receivers. That's how I'd I rank that. it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Which is pretty funny because, I mean, if we just fully open up the scope to just playing in general, then Dylan Edwards maybe bumps up the list because he's sure. probably going to be a I'm return man pretty early. 100%. You know? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And he can do some things yeah. out of the backfield and all that. Yeah. But I'm just talking purely as a receiver. Just pure yeah, come in and play as a receiver. Would that I be agree. the order you go with? Yeah, that's the I exact think- same order. Because I, I think Jaden Greathouse, like I said, is about as college ready as you can get. Yeah. I think Rico Flores, I mean, from a route running perspective, yeah. Rico – gets it right. man like he understands yeah. it he plucks the football and that's where i'm coming from right like yeah. it, it's like braylon james can play as a freshman just by his god-given athleticism and sure. size alone i'm simply sure. referring to their game the and the yeah. other reason i put uh dylan edwards at the bottom is because he's never played receiver before so i'm talking about from a standpoint of where they are in their receiver games you know braylon james the thing he has a rico is he's got the size and the speed of a rico which will help him i'm just talking about where their games are that's how i'd rank their games like whose game is most ready to play as a yes. freshman and it's Jaden greathouse and rico at the top in that regard 100%. at Could least based on that. what we know right now and we'll see what jay we'll see what braylon james does this year he's been working a lot on his route running and different things like that we'll see how he where he comes but that's kind of where you know where where he adds all right, let's see. Uh, Tom Flavin says Freeman's knowns attracts top assistants, recruits dudes, effective game plans, in-game adjusts, or excuse me, uh, recruits dudes, inspires new culture. Unknowns develop develops dudes, effective game plans, in-game adjustments, comments. So where I will disagree with you, Tom, is as a head coach, we know nothing about any of those things <laughs> other than the attracts and, you know, the first part, right? So, I mean, that's it's kind of like a rigged game a little bit. We don't know about any of those things. What we do know of him as a defensive coordinator, however, is he does develop dudes. He does have effective game plans. And I do think they did a good job last year in making in-game adjustments after the first couple weeks. Sure. I thought they did a pretty good job of making adjustments in-game when he was the coordinator. Now, how will he be as a head coach? That I don't know. Different level, and, yeah. and I understand why there's doubts about it because they didn't make any really you know great adjustments on defense in the bowl game until it was too late. And on offense, I actually do think they made adjustments. I just don't think there was anything they could really adjust to that was going to work once they realized, like, okay, the offensive line can't run block and the receivers can't get off a press. So, Not great. Not great. Yeah. Let's talk about limiting factors. Those those two things can limit you a little bit <laughs> as an offensive play uh, as yeah. an offensive play caller. But I mean, to your point, Brian, it's he has shown that he can do those things as a coach. It's just now a different perspective on it, right. how well he can do those types of things so i agree completely right. but the things we know he's a very attractive personality right he can definitely recruit and bring and get people mm-hmm. to buy in right because right. i bought in i think you're bought in like oh, a yeah. lot of us are bought in oh yeah he, he can attract 
The question is now tangibly as a head coach in a head coaching role, can he do it? It's a question mark, but it's very, it's going to be a fun ride. It's going to be a fun ride. Here, here's a, here's a question. John Zabrowski says, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this, Ryan. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best college receiver since Keyshawn Johnson. Ignore Calvin Johnson, who had like 24 catches. I just want to say Calvin Johnson literally never caught fewer than 48 passes in a season in college. Yes. Like literally doubled up whatever number you threw out as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. He also, the next year, he had 48 catches for 837 yards as a freshman. He had 54 catches for 888 yards as a sophomore. And he had 76 catches for 1,202 offenses and 15 touchdowns as a junior. No idea playing. what you're talking about. That was that was playing with Reggie Ball, too. Cr- thank you. Who, thank yeah. you. Wasn't he did not play in the triple option. He played for no. Chan Gailey. Yes. So I don't I don't know where that came from. And so he's also all due respect to Jackson Smith and Jig, but really, I mean, really good college receiver. Maybe this conversation completely changes if he has a dynamic season close to what he had last year. But I mean, we've seen. I mean, you remember Larry Fitzgerald at Pitt? That uh, was Devontae pretty... Smith two years ago. Right. <laughs> There's been some dudes, man. There's been a yeah. couple good guys, you know? Yeah. I mean, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we'll see Can't what the resume there. looks like at the end of the conversation because, again, we have a full season of Jackson Smith and Jigba at least. Yeah. But. There's, there's been some guys. There's yeah. been some other dudes. He wasn't even Ohio State's best receiver last year. Most productive because he was – because everybody's trying to stop their best. Right? Yes. I'm sorry. Garrett Wilson yes. was their best receiver last year. Uh, yes. So, yeah, it is. And, and, oh, and I didn't even – someone just put in the chat, man. For If we're talking about just a single season, Jamar Chase was dumb. Oh, my gosh, man. yes. He was dumb. Dude, you could argue they had two receivers on the team better than Jackson. And this is not a knock on Jackson Smith and Jigba. This he's a really good player. It's just yes, I just player. this is not even a debatable thing for me. I mean, just Michael Cra- Michael Crabtree. How yeah. about Justin? Do you want to see a nuts, 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 nuts profile? Go look at Justin Blackman's game by game. Oh gosh, yeah, at Oklahoma that, State. Oh my, yeah, it was crazy, man. His <laughs> worst game was like eight catches for a hundred. What yards was his last year? Because you showed this to me one time, and it was really what was his last year? He was uh he was in the two thousand eight class. So what his yes. last year been? What two thousand two thousand seven? Wait, wait. No, he was part of the two thousand eight class. Justin Blackman. Uh, two thousand eight. He was part um, of the two thousand eight recruiting class. He was part of the Michael Floyd, Julio Jones, AJ Green recruiting class. Also, some really good players there. So he came out as a junior, right? So it would be right. Would be so then in two thousand ten. Yeah. So right. just Justin Blackman that year had a hundred and eleven catches for one thousand seven hundred eighty two yards and twenty touchdowns, and only played twelve games. Here is this by. Eight for 125, 10 for 132, 6 for 174, 10 for 127, 13 for 190, 10 for 207. Uh, by the way, he's scored a touchdown at least one in every single game. Uh, five for 157, missed the K State game, 10 for 173, 9 for 145, 10 for 130, 8 for, and for 105, 9 for 117. That was his eight, eight for 105 was his yeah. worst game. If we're, yeah. I mean, he was nuts, man. That and was a really sophomore. Was. That was his red shirt sophomore year. So he, he was, did, yeah. And then Brian, 2011, he had yeah. 121 catches and 18 touchdowns. He was one of the biggest wastes of talent, man. And it was just in the a NFL you talking about? thing. In the NFL, yeah. yeah. He was yeah. so good. And he was even pretty good as a rookie for Jacksonville. And then, like, he just – it was just it was done yeah. from there. It was just personality stuff. That's the yeah. tough part is recruit of scouting, man, is like – kid was just phenomenal i mean he made brandon whedon into a first round pick oh, let's yeah. be honest about this right oh like, yeah 
28 year old Brandon Weed went first round because of Justin Black. Yeah. Like Devontae Smith in 2020 mm-hmm. had 117 catches for 1,856 yards and 23 touchdowns. He only played 13 games because of COVID. It wasn't a typical 15 game Bama season, it was more of a Notre Dame type of season. 117 catches for 856 yards and 23 touchdowns. Like, yeah, there's been some dudes. Jamar Chase, 84 catches for 1,780 yards and 20 touchdowns. Justin Jefferson that same year, 111 catches for 1,540 yards and 18 touchdowns. So, yeah, yeah, there's been some dudes. Larry Fitzgerald's last year at Pitt was crazy. Michael Crabtree's numbers for two years at Texas Tech was just dumb, just absolutely dumb. Yeah, there's there's been some dudes. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to disagree with that comment a little bit. Like, gonna have to disagree with that comment pretty strong. I mean, go look at Amari Cooper's numbers. His last year at Alabama, yeah. he had like 1,900 yards, didn't he? Or some crazy yeah, it was like 1,700. Like yeah, 124 catches. Yeah, yeah <laughs> some nut stuff. Some nut yeah. stuff. Absolutely nut stuff. Alabama's had some guys. Had yeah, some guys. yeah, and like so the response could be, well, some of those offenses were like air raids. I'm like, that's fair, but Ohio State's kind of similar principle like they're schematically they're different but it's the same thing and they're, they're they throw a million passes i mean you know like they throw the ball a ton antoine johnson says uh we actually talked about that one uh milton fan 15 says this is for ryan can you explain the high favorability for logan Diggs? i've seen him play and not seeing the ceiling at all uh or what all the fuss is about yeah milton i think that we saw just glimpses of it last year i think for what i'm projecting forward is is that I think Logan Diggs has the best all-around skill set of the running backs, right? Like Chris Tyree's got the game-breaking speed, got the pass-catching ability as well. Audrey Gessamay is the physical downhill kid that has better feet than people give him credit for. I think Logan Diggs can kind of fit multiple roles in this offense. And it might not always be flashy, but I think when you're talking about what an offensive coordinator wants, like you don't have to change anything you do for Logan Diggs. Like if you're a gap, a gap power-heavy scheme, cool if you want to be a zone blocking scheme cool you want to run some outside zone cool you want to use him in the passing game cool i think logan Diggs just everything he does is very solid so Mm -hmm. everything around all around i like the skill set overall of logan Diggs. yeah i'm a big fan great feet great balance great vision a lot of talent that's almost say because he didn't ask me jack lorenzo uh what are your thoughts on notre dame's ability to make halftime adjustments is this an area that needs to improve going forward and how would they do that honestly like we could we could spend a lot of time on this, Jack, but it really doesn't matter because I think we're in a different situation. Even when you look at well, they have the same OC, they have the same OC who still had some things dictated to him by the head football coach. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, you know, I think that's an area where where I actually thought I thought Tommy did a pretty good job making halftime adjustments last year. And as I've talked about the Oklahoma State game, I think in 2020, I thought Notre Dame did a pretty good job of making halftime adjustments. I think that They've been hampered at different times by the personnel just not being there at the same time. Good O-line in 2020, good running back, but maybe not the greatest quarterback and the receiving core wasn't overly explosive. You know, 2021, I think you had more dynamic players, but you didn't have – and you had a quarterback that was a great decision maker but couldn't make the plays with his legs that the previous quarterback could, and you had an offensive line that couldn't protect him. So I think there's always different issues. This year there should be no excuses. I mean, we're going to find out who he is, but – you know, that's something I want to see. And honestly, the other thing that hurt Coach Reese was he didn't really have a staff that was top to bottom, had the kind of depth that this staff is going to have. You didn't have an O-line coach that you're necessarily going to listen to a whole lot, and the receivers coach didn't bring much value. 
I think this one's going to be a little bit of a different deal, uh, in, in my opinion. And I, and I definitely think that there's going to be a greater trust with the offensive line coach, for sure. Defensively, I have no clue because the guy running the defense hasn't called a game since 2005. I couldn't possibly give you any type of thing. The only thing that I would ask you, Ryan, is did you watch enough of the Bengals in the last few years, to, as at least as the staff, to feel like you came from a staff to make adjustments. It's the only thing I could even say, and I and again, I don't I don't watch enough football to, you know, to to really I, say that. I mean, the game that people are going to point to is the playoff game against the Chiefs, where they completely just, I mean, they really confused that offense. Patrick Mahomes and company mm-hmm. in the second half. After I mean, they gave up a few touchdowns in the second half. It's like I think Mahomes had like no touchdowns, two interceptions, or something like that. So. That's the game they're going to point out. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that I watched enough Bengals games to give you like a proper educated assessment. I will just say that I, the Bengals definitely did have some really good moments down the stretch in the playoffs last year that leaves you to believe. I mean, even the Rams, I mean, this was like a quiet thing, but like the Super Bowl, the Rams came out of the second half and were not great out of the out of mm-hmm. the, out of halftime you know like the Bengals really jumped on them quickly both offensively and defensively and then the Rams had to kind of come back at the end a little bit mm-hmm. but I think that I think the Bengals did have a lot of nice adjustments last year last question uh is from Brian J Irish Ryan and Bri- or Brian and Ryan and we've been asked this before uh mm-hmm. Brian and Ryan which do you prefer I'll let you answer it I'm going to answer one part of it Ryan and then let you kind of take the, the crux of it which do you prefer receive or kick off for the second half does the opponent have a say on what you do I rather kick off first I never understood BK ways BK's way on this so number one yes the opponent can have a say on what you do if they win the coin toss unless their team captain is an idiot uh they're going to determine kind of what you do and what I mean by this there's I, I think I think it was a high school game I was at where the uh, they won the toss and they say, what did you choose to do? And they said, um, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember how it went down, but basically uh, the other team deferred and they chose to kick off, mm-hmm. which meant the other team could then choose. Cause what deferment means is it's not okay. If you defer, the other team is going to, to, to make their choice, but that means that team gets to choose for the second half. Right. So if you choose, if they defer and you choose to kick off, that means the other team Gets the chooses <laughs> to return in the second half, which means they return twice. Yeah. And so I was like, uh, I don't think you. And so then it's funny because I'm walking back. The head they're like explaining to the head coach what happened, and he's like, "What are you doing?" You know. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Unless the team captain is an idiot, uh, the other team determines. You know, if they if they if they if they defer to the second half, then, you know, obviously you're going to, you're going to make your choice. So, uh, and, and so, yes, if you lose the toss, the other team's going to dictate what you do is the yep. moral of the story. Uh, yep. Ryan, what is your, I, I've said this, I don't care. I, I, it depends on team. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. What's your stance on this? And this will be where we kind of, I think where we end it. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I'm, and this is my bias. Brian talked about his bias a little bit earlier. This is my bias. I'm a defensive guy. I'm always going to defer. It's just, it's just me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm okay with being on the field first, and I want to have the ball first out of the, out of halftime to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of dictate the pace of the second half. That's just what I yeah. prefer. That's my bias. I'm a defensive guy. That's what I'm always going to do. Let's defer, take the ball, start the second half. That's my thing. It's yeah. my jam. And it's a but. See, here's the thing though. It's your. It's what you want to do. It's because how how you would build your football team. 
100%. Right. 100%. And that's the reality of it. And, and my point is, is that I, I don't think your way is wrong. It's I, mm-hmm. I'm an offensive guy. I want the ball. My point is simply, I just don't think it matters that sure. much. It's just about what your strategy is and what your team is built around and all those kind of things. So uh, that to me is, is the much bigger deal. So that is going to do it for today's show. Appreciate everybody's patience as we got that little little hiccup in the middle. But as Ryan, of course, as I knew he would, just took it and rocked it. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk about the offensive line and a little bit more in depth about the tight ends tomorrow. Six o'clock tonight, Sean and Vince are going to talk more about the the, the potential TV deal. And they're, they're going to have a fun little what, what would you do if you could go back in time and make a change at Notre Dame? They have a question about that, which is going to be a lot of fun. So that's tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern on the IB Nation Sports uh, Nation show. So you're going to definitely want to tune into that, which means you need to, of course, Ryan, to know when that is. You need to obviously join the message board, number one. Hit the like button, everybody. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Leave a five-star review if you're listening via podcast. would appreciate that very, very much. Visit the IB store for the merch. And as always, go Irish. Everybody have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.